Hey everyone, I am Amber Melody. Hello. Welcome to I Am, an experimental mixed media platform that is part photographic journal, part podcast. I am, among many other things, an Australian fashion and portrait photographer, and now rookie podcast host for The Modern Woman. Join us here every week for candid, relaxed conversations where we traverse our intimate and often complex thoughts on self-love, style, ambition, art, wisdom, and everything in between. These are interviews and accompanying portraits to evoke, empower, and inspire because we all have a story to tell. What's yours? everyone. As I start to record this intro for the beginning of episode three, I just wanted to jump on and and sort of say hi and um, just acknowledge the fact that there has been almost two and a half months between episode two and episode three of I Am The Podcast. And obviously a lot has happened in the world. 2020 has been one big year, but um, the day that I recorded episode two was the 25th of May 2020 and though we couldn't have known it then Zoe and I reflected back um, days later with the new knowledge that it had been the day that George Floyd was killed Um, and we were both very aware that had we recorded her episode and her interview one week later we would have been having a really different conversation and so you know, I went into the, the pause, a, a one-week pause at the time, I thought, just to really, one, pay respects to George Floyd and to acknowledge and re- show respect for the Black Lives Matter movement. And obviously I had learned in that time about the case of Breonna Taylor and I never thought, though, that it would be literally months before I would find the right position that I wanted to take. Um, I wanted to work out what I could add to the conversation as a white woman. So I really sat with that and and thought about it for a long time. But the thought was that actually maybe the first conversation is about allyship. I am a white woman and I have to know what role I can play in moving things forward and being a conduit of positive change. So amidst all of the outpouring of emotional outcry and everything that was my social media feed and I'm sure yours as well. One woman's posts stood out to me a lot and that woman was Ali Weber. She is a LA-based curve model that I had connected with um, when we were both arriving in LA and we had shot this really cool editorial together um, and I thought she was smart and, and interesting. Cut to June and, and thinking about all of this stuff and I decided that she was the person that I really wanted to have this conversation with two white women, having a conversation about how we can possibly show up as allies and how we take that beyond just race relations. We talked about size diversity, we talked about the LGBTQI plus 
communities and how we can show our support and allyship there as well. So there's a lot that we cover in this interview. We recorded it on the 1st of July and somehow it's taken me seven weeks to pull this together. As we all know, 2020 is a time morphic experience. Um, but here we are and I'm ready to play this episode for you. I think talking about allyship is very important. I also think that in doing so, um, or in turning up and, and showing up to want to be an ally, we're probably going to make mistakes. I probably say some things in this interview that I will look back at when I have more knowledge and more understanding, but you have to start somewhere. And that's what I want this to be, a conversation about what can I do now to show my support, my solidarity, and um, we cover a lot of interesting ground there. So having recorded this in July, actually there's been a few dynamic shifts in terms of the pandemic, uh, both in America and Australia since this interview. So things have kind of got a bit worse on both fronts, but um, yeah, let me take this moment to introduce to you the beautiful, the intelligent, the really amazing woman that is Ali Weber and our conversation on allyship. Hello. Hello. Hi, Ali. Can you hear me? I can hear you. Can you hear me? Yay. Hi, how are you? I'm good. I miss you. I wish you were still here. Oh my God. I so do wish that myself too. I really miss LA and it's crazy because obviously a lot is going on there. <laughs> How's it felt? I'm, I mean, it feels so good to be back and to be working. I just don't really feel comfortable like going to restaurants or anything like that yet, even though they are open. Mm. I just don't, the numbers are still really high here and yeah. you know, like, uh, uh, at set there's like all these protocols and all these things you know everyone gets temperature checked and is wearing masks and whatever and like that's not the case at a restaurant <laughs> yeah so hard just kind of hiding out because it's like I the last thing I want to do is get sick and then not be able to work again after taking plenty of time off <laughs> <laughs> yeah what date uh, like I left LA flew back to Australia on March 3rd I think or 4th March Third or fourth. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you're my third um, interviewee. I would love you to introduce yourself and, um, yeah, and tell us a bit about you. And we should sure. also talk about, yeah, maybe we can talk about our photo shoot together, but also anything. Tell me who you yeah. are. <laughs> so my name is Allie Weber. I am a curve model. Um, I am living in LA. I am from Indiana. I recently relocated here in January. So big adjustment. (laughs) Um, I graduated from Indiana University with a business degree and journalism degree in 2017. So three years ago now and kind of went a completely different direction, (laughs) bartended and served for a bit and ended up becoming a model and now here we are and I've kind of found myself an activist in a lot of ways and I've always kind of prided myself on being really empathetic and a good friend and somebody that uh, 
people feel really comfortable with. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's just kind of naturally evolved into activism as I've seen how my friends have been hurting with everything. And how impactful that is. You stood out to me as somebody who really represents allyship really well. And I love that play on Ally, (laughs) Ally and Ally. Um, So I kind of got that in my mind. I just thought, you know, I wanted to talk to you anyway. um, And I really wanted to share our photos, but I, but I also just felt like that is a really good space to start this conversation and bring this podcast back, which was sort of fledgling. And then it really like, you just went on an extended hiatus. Um, with with the pause but yeah I I think that allyship and and what we can do um and what conversations we can start and how we can play a role um definitely is is something I would like to on top of my own social media as well Mm. so was planning it started with that whole um you know that thing that went viral that muting yourself for a week yeah and I was like yeah I want to do that I think that's important and that week was up and I was like you know I don't feel like ready to delve back into the real world. And I think it was so much a combination of everything that was going on with both the racial injustices, but also the virus and the way that the virus is impacting people so disproportionately Mm. based on race and socioeconomic status. I just felt like my time and energy really like I did not have the emotional energy to be focused on my own social media I needed to put it elsewhere and I'm really glad I did take that time yeah I'm just kind of starting to ease in I've posted like once but but we'll get there (laughs) well you won up on me because actually I haven't managed to post anything but I had taken my black square down and then I have put my black square back up because at least I wanted to have it there to represent that moment yeah I took it too because Mm. I some people reached out to me and said how it could clog Mm the feed about and I I the last thing I wanted to do I mean if you re-uploaded it recently it's not a problem obviously but at the time I was worried that I would be disrupting important resources and information yeah so I decided to post those instead but it was very much a hard situation of what do I do and what is it my place to do yes I think that is a real crux of this conversation to have Yeah, and I think part of the problem is I did see a lot of people, not you obviously, but using the black square kind of performatively, Mm. which I didn't like, you know, like people from my small town in Indiana, you know, which I mean, some of them used it not performatively, but who were like just jumping on the bandwagon, who have never seen post anything about any sort of equality, or who have been open Trump supporters, Mm. (laughs) goes against equality, you know what I mean? Yeah like you're just jumping on the bandwagon and I think that performative allyship is offensive frankly Mm, which is such an interesting um that's such an interesting thing because in a way is it fledgling allyship you know there's a question there that is definitely a question and it's one of those things where you're like we're all learning you know yeah and if it's because you genuinely care and you just don't know where to start and you want to start and you want to be a better person and a better ally, et cetera, et cetera, then that's amazing. Mm-hmm. And I think if it's about that is, intent, isn't it, really? You it know? is about intent. And it's like if all you do is post the black square, then we never hear anything from you again. Yeah. Guess what? Your black square didn't help anyone. Mm. Absolutely. You know what I mean? 
And I think that's what I find performative. If it's people that may not have spoken up before, but now have the courage to use their voice mm. with everything going on in the world, then that's a different issue. Yeah, or, or realistically, people who uh, either didn't think it was their place, and I think that's a really interesting um, element you touched on, or didn't really do care but didn't recognise their white privilege or didn't recognise the need was so desperate to stand up. Like I feel like I have always tried to like represent, um, like I haven't, I don't, don't feel like I have any bias in who I want to represent um, mm-hmm. in my images. Exposure to people of colour is in Australia less, you know, like I have less, there's, there's less opportunity. Less opportunity, yeah. And that in itself is a really interesting thing. And I feel like that should change. Like the representation of Indigenous Australian models um, mm-hmm. and people and, you know, at all is, is so minimal in our own culture. So it's, it's been really fascinating for me to go, oh, God, I'm really <laughs> emotionally attached to this whole movement from the American perspective that we see, you know, having blown up so um much in the in light of George Floyd's death but then also taking that upon myself and saying okay well how you know actually that issue and deaths in custody is a really big issue in Australia as well um and so trying to sort of bring that into play with okay so actually I can also represent um Indigenous Australians in my work and I haven't been so you know there's a lot I think that that comes up when you start to think about these things. Well, we all have a lot to learn. And just this is, you can edit this out, but I have a friend who is mixed and from Australia Mm. who's a model to talk to who's incredible. Oh, yeah, great. Jennifer. And I believe her dad is Indigenous and is darker skinned. Yeah. She's mixed. And she's from Australia. She just moved here like a year ago. So she's living in LA. LA or in New York okay. but we've worked with yeah um I'll send you her Instagram yeah, cool. because you should definitely talk to her she's been very outspoken about like indigenous rights in Australia and the overlap of the Black Lives Matter movement yes. and stuff. It's- I would love and that yeah that would be great because I feel like for me that's the um the next step of like okay yes I can um show my solidarity but the net so it's the sort of um I guess the steps of allyship which we're all starting to educate ourselves on, you know, it's listen, learn and take action, you know, like that there actually needs to be that next step, um, you know, absolutely along the lines of it's not enough to be non-racist anymore. You have to be anti-racist, you know, and I think that that's a really important um, differentiation, which I'd never really even heard someone term it like that until now. And that seems to be the message, you know, that to spread. And I, I'm totally guilty of the phrase previously before I understood Mm. of like, I don't see color Mm. when I was younger, right? Like in high school, let's say I was like, I don't see color, meaning I don't care what color you are. Like in the, I meant it in a positive way. Like I've never felt any sort of, I never felt that I had any racial bias. And now I know I saw something that I really liked that was like, don't not see color see our dark skin and love us Mm. and respect us and appreciate us and learn about it. And I really like that because not like you can't just pretend that blackness and the issues that affect black people doesn't exist by being like, I don't see color because 
guess what? They have to live a totally different life every day. And I think that part of it too is I've, I've been talking to a lot of uh, black models about this that I think is fascinating. And I've learned so much from so many people. And, you know, like you said, it's, it's emotional labor. Mm -hmm. And I saw someone post something that I really liked that said, it's not our job to make sure you're educated yeah. as black women. And I think it's our job to learn, to ask questions. So like we had a Zoom call with uh, Natural, like with my agency, that was really great. It just kind of gave a platform for everyone to talk about their experiences in the industry. And I'm the first to admit that there was a lot of things I just honestly didn't think about. Yeah. Like issues with the way that some of the girls had had their hair treated or people not knowing how to match their skin tone. Just issues that I never have personally experienced. Mm. And that's my white privilege, you know? I've never, ever sat down in a makeup chair and had somebody be like, oh, we don't have that shade. Yeah. Or, oh, how do we do this hair? This is too much work. This is too hard. You should have come with it like this, ever. Yeah. You know, like, and I think it's our job as white women in the industry too to ask our friends and our colleagues those questions what are your struggles and how can I help you with them because you can't help and you can't stand up for somebody if you don't know and you might not notice because you know like a lot of times we're not in makeup or hair at the same time because there's one makeup artist right yeah so it's not like I'm sitting next to my friend while she's getting her makeup done and I can actually hear the artist say, I don't have this. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I think. But also it's like previously, maybe you, even if you'd seen that, would, would we have taken upon ourselves to say something? And how? I think that's the question too. Mm. Isn't the first question, the first part of that question is would we? Yes. But the second part is how do you do it? Yeah. Because I do think that there's such a fear and some of the girls touched on this too. Uh, there's a fear of coming off difficult. Mm -hmm. And I think that we all feel that way. Like you never want to be the person to cause any problem. You want to get rebooked, you know? And you don't want to come off as problematic. And I mean, I feel that way even like about if things fit, you know? Yeah. And I admittedly have so many fewer things to worry about than someone of color but that's just my the only experience on set that I the only even somewhat comparison and I admit that it is not a fair one but that I can come up with is like you know I've been handed a pair of jeans that are supposed to be my size and you know how denim is <laughs> there's a lot of variability you know yeah and I've been trying to shove myself into a pair of jeans that just runs crazy small mm. yeah but my Germans are in the you know but and I've been there I've been in that dressing room trying to just make it work yeah and imagine my black colleagues doing the same with their skin I've had friends tell me you know I was in the bathroom trying to blot it myself trying to make it work putting my own foundation on you know what I mean yeah and it's like you shouldn't have to change who you are your client should be prepared and expecting who you are they booked you yeah I love that and I think I've gotten a lot more confident in that now that, and I mean, for the most part, and like I said, that's why it's not a fair comparison. Something not fitting for me is very rare because they know your measurements, right? Mm. And sometimes people overestimate how much stretch something will have, you know, 
you're like, oh, it's a size smaller, but it's really stretchy. And you're like, oh, not that stretchy. <laughs> <laughs> Admittedly, that is nothing like, and that's the other thing. It's like when you hire a dark skinned black girl, you know that you're going to have a dark skinned black girl. Mm. So why do you not have a makeup artist who has the appropriate shades? That is, mm-hmm. and I know that we there's actually a lot of other elements, you know, whether it is that after this we are more aware beyond the the struggle um, with Black Lives Matter. You know, I've noticed actually on one of our news channels now, everything is being signed. You know, all the news stories are being signed, and all of the government re- reporting is being signed. So there's a lot of areas that I guess people have uh, an experience that is other um, that we can try to just be an ally, an ally certainly for Black Lives Matter, but an ally for so many people that maybe are being um, misunderstood and and having an experience of life that is exactly does not and have I mean, the privilege that, we, you know, some of us have. Exactly. And, I mean, even just with that small unfair example of something not fitting, you know, I'm learning to be like, this doesn't fit. Yeah. You know, this is it, which is again very, and that's so. But it's a, it's crazy that would be a bold statement because it doesn't fit. Is literally a fact. And that's what my my African American friends Mm. are learning how to be like. This is not my color. Yeah. And I also feel like though, any time I have been in one of those rare situations where something doesn't fit or something whatever, I I can say it doesn't fit, and I don't have this fear that I'm going to be seen as. I guess that there's this stereotype might be too strong of a word but a complex that um one of my african-american coworkers was telling me about of being seen as the quote-unquote like angry black woman mm. like that they're they're seen as more difficult more problematic more aggressive and it's like you know i'm i'm a pretty like bubbly blonde white girl and if i'm like oh i'm so sorry this doesn't fit people are like oh honey it's the pants not you <laughs> You know what I mean? Yeah. It's like I do the littlest thing to go out of my way. I always hang up my clothes mm-hmm. after I shoot them, right? And it's like every stylist is like, oh, you didn't need to do that. You're amazing. And it's like that really was not that. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, my mom taught me that a while ago. Yeah, like that's mm. called basic respect and mm. having worked minimum wage jobs and knowing that kind of like work Yeah, I worked in a cinema uh, and I will never leave popcorn or any wrappers or anything exactly. when I go to the cinema because I'm like, and people do. People leave so much shit when they leave the cinema and I'm like picking everyone else's stuff up in my party. Oh, and- I was a waitress forever and until the end of time, I will stack all the plates and put them at the end of the table and tip more than 20%, like forever because it, it, that's just it, it's learned. But mm. That's just it. And another white model, and I were talking about this, it's like with our hair, like one of the black girls was saying that people like would expect her to bring her own wig and stuff. Yeah. Like I have these clip-in extensions just to make my hair thicker that are the same length as my hair. And whenever I bring them, people are like, oh, that's amazing of you. You are so incredible. You go above and beyond. And it's like, why is it considered above and beyond for me? Mm. And an expectation for her that's what doesn't seem right yeah you know yeah I love that I love that um you know I think it is all of these conversations where you can reflect on okay this is my experience and it is and you can also recognize that 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 is not the experience for people that you're you know there are your peers your colleagues and people that you're working with um and I you know feel privileged that I got the opportunity through 
the wonders of social media to watch that whole um, live uh, Skype or whatever it was that you guys mm-hmm. did with natural models. And it, I love their stance that, you know, that they've taken. Um, and I, and yeah, I feel like, amazing. yeah, you know, and, and obviously they want to show their solidarity and they want to show that they're going to have like the declaration of equality that they put forward. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, these are great steps that also inspire brands and also inspire other companies and, you know, can make for an sure. actual change because then it becomes, this is, I guess, how on a small scale, and we're just talking within the fashion industry, you know, how you can start to break down systemic, because it is systemic racism that you expect a black model to bring wigs or have extensions or have done, <clears throat> already straightened her hair or any of those yeah. elements, you know. Yeah. The thing is, and it's like, I felt so guilty. I felt so ignorant because like I said, we're very rarely in hair or makeup at the same time. So it's like, if your friends don't tell you these things, you don't know that they mm. happen. And, you know, so many girls are talking about how they just dealt with it, you know? And it's like, I felt so guilty for not even thinking of it as a thing that happens, you know? Yeah. Like one of the girls, <laughs> thing that they expected her to know how to put on her own wig and she was like I've never worn a wig in my life and I was like nobody has ever expected me to know how to do something like that I don't even know how to use a damn curling iron (laughs) I literally can't curl my own hair my roommate does it for castings like and people my friends make fun of me lovingly but no client has ever been like curl your own hair Mm. you know I mean there have been times where I'm supposed to come ready but then I just make my you know what I mean but never on set like that where it's the expectation is that I am the one who knows how to do it, you know? Yeah. And it's like, it really kind of highlighted my ignorance and privilege because I am lucky in that even though I'm from Indiana, (laughs) I'm from a college town, right? So we always joke, it's like if you took Boulder, Colorado, somewhere crazy liberal and dropped it in a (laughs) cornfield. Because Indiana is pretty racist, Republican, whatever. But Bloomington, where I'm from, is super blue. It's very Democrat. It's very liberal. It's very diverse because IU is a 50,000-person school. Right. So it brings in faculty and stuff from all over the world. So it's like I grew up with friends from a lot of different backgrounds. I mean, of, like, my core group of five, like, best family friends from preschool, right, two of them are transgender and one is gay. Like, and that, that's normal for me. Yeah. So it's like, I'm very lucky, but I also have very liberal parents. And, like, my parents literally went to Washington, D.C. for the Women's March, you know? And oh, I love it. My sister dated a black guy in college and brought him home and didn't have to think twice of it. Yeah. And no one was like, oh, my which, God. Which is crazy that that would be a thing. But I guess in lots of areas that are not liberal then you, it is. it's still an outrage or a talking point or whatever that might yeah, be. Yeah, well, and what I the thing is, so, like, a lot of other people from Indiana come to IU as well as out-of-state kids, mm. right? And so I do have friends from a lot of different backgrounds. One of my good friends from college was from Greenwood, which is, like, 45 minutes away, and uh, moved to L.A. recently also, back in October. And seeing the shift that she has made since moving to L.A., because she came from a family that was very conservative. And it just goes to show how much of it is nurture, too, because she's never been a hateful person, right? Mm. Ever. I don't think that she has a malicious bone in her body, but she didn't feel particularly comfortable to 
especially the LGBTQ to uh, oh, oh my gosh LGBTQ <laughs> uh stuff yeah know? and it was so much of that is about exposure if it's not something it, you've had experience and, with then and that's just it it's like mm. she never was like I hate gay people or anything like that but she was very clearly not as comfortable around some of the situations you know like I remember when we were in the same sorority in college right I'm sorry, this is kind of not about Black Lives. This no, 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 no. Actually, because actually I want that conversation. I feel like that is about There's allyship. There's a lot of Yeah, absolutely. And I think the same with, you know, you. I would love to have this conversation and talk to you about the LGBTQI plus stuff, but, um, but also about being a curve model. Like there's obviously the place there that it, you know crosses into so take the conversation oh. wherever you want to take it yeah um, and just let me if I'm getting too off topic because I am kind of ADD <laughs> no I love it cut me off I will not be offended <laughs> but so it um so her roommate came out as gay who's like her best friend from high school mm-hmm. and I have been telling her for like a year I was like he's gay <laughs> but, <laughs> because I lived with a bunch of gay guys in college <laughs> And I was like, I just, I know, I have the best gaydar. Yeah. <laughs> kind of a joke. But she was like, no, no. And I talked to him and he was like, why didn't you tell her? She loves you so much, you know? And he was like, well, you know, she would use these slurs and stuff mm-hmm. like, because she honestly just grew up doing that. Yeah. And didn't know. And of course, as soon as he came out, she embraced the hell out of him. Mm, and it was really that. beautiful and amazing to see and it's like kind of like there was a big movement I remember when I was in like maybe elementary school to stop using the word retarded mm. and which it's like crazy to think that you have to have a movement to there was like a whole campaign that was like say the word to stop the r word or something and it's like same with you know the n word or mm. the F word for gay people and it's like because so many people, especially from these small towns in Indiana, right, grew up with their big brother and their whatever saying it, they don't realize Yes, And I think it's the same. It's like, actually, when there was advertising that said, hey, smoking is great, you grow up, you think, oh, well, everyone said smoking is great. If you're in a household where you can, you know, make jokes that are racist or your parents are, then you think that is acceptable and that's where I think is an interesting thing that actually there is a really good reason to stop people and to pull people up on things because a lot of the time people have not recognized the damage that can be done with gay slurs racist slurs any type of slur thinking it's humorous or comedy or sorry I didn't mean to interrupt Um, but I think it can be hidden as humor at times you know uh, or packaged in that way and therefore people think it's okay exactly well and I do think that I do have some friends from home who genuinely would never see themselves as racist or homophobic or fill in the blank right yeah like if you were like do you hate gay people they'd be like what why would you say that Mm. of course I hate gay people even though they say oh that's so gay right (laughs) because it's like Mm -hmm. it becomes so if you've grown up doing that it becomes so like second nature that you almost don't even associate the word with the group. Yeah. And that's why it's so important to check your friends because they may not be bad people who are using those words to hurt people, but they're still hurtful words regardless of the intent. Yes. And that's why it's important 
to put them like to do it politely, you know, and that's what I'm a big believer in educate me. Yeah. But don't belittle me because the thing is like, we all have a lot to learn Mm. and we all come from different backgrounds. And one of the ways I've realized that I'm privileged in the last few months of everything too, is to have liberal parents. Yeah. Because I'm privileged that I didn't grow up saying those things or thinking that, you know, like, I, yes, I was around people in school and stuff, but I didn't grow up with parents at home who were like, don't bring home a black guy or things that a lot of my friends did. Yeah. You know, and so I never had that ingrained in me. So I haven't had to unlearn it. I feel like I am constantly having to learn how to be a better ally. But I'm starting a step ahead of people who first have to unlearn what they were taught. And I am very grateful that I am starting from that point and that I don't have to argue with my family about human rights issues and things like that because we're on the same page and that my agency is so amazing about everything and has made it such a, like making that decree and everything we talked about incredible. Like I don't have to be like, what is my agency doing? Yeah. Because they are on it. (laughs) have that ideology I completely um agree with having grown up in a family I don't even remember it being a thing like I don't recall any explicit anti-racism conversation ever but I obviously grew up in such a liberal household or split between two because my parents were never together but I spent time with with both of them I just had a very open mind and a very open um expectation on the world I didn't have explicit judgment though obviously now as I unpack things you recognize more white privilege for what it was and what it still is but that I think you're so right in saying that it's a really big gift that your parents have given you if you are in a position where you had that upbringing and I think that's something Mm -hmm. to be aware in terms of wanting to be an ally and helping other people become allies within the white community is recognizing that not everyone had that. So that exactly like you're saying, it doesn't make anyone a bad person if they're still three steps behind because they weren't offered that opportunity as a child, you know, cause that's yeah. a big thing to, to be a starting point, right. For us, it's because huge. actually at this point in time, I feel like when I think about my whiteness, I'm feeling shame about that. That's nothing I can help. I, I equally, you know, I can't help that I was born in a white body in the same way that somebody who was born black can't help that they were born in, but, you know, we are just given this body and this genetic history and and a family that we're put into, but it's such an interesting thing to feel shame around that. Um, But I guess in a way that's because I'm aware and awakening and I have recognition uh, of what that has given me without even you know exactly and exactly that i would argue it would be much more shameful to find out that your ancestors were slave owners Mm. than to find out that they were slaves you know yeah because you can't you you didn't get to choose if you were a slave yeah absolutely but you did get to choose to oppress people you know Mm. what i mean and i'm lucky that my family's immigrants so (laughs) i'm not tied to that (laughs) but (laughs) they're pretty off the boat but uh yeah exactly no I do feel and it's that's right your background is Greek or something is it what was the yes my mom's off the boat Greek um my dad is 
just kind of generic mutt white. But they actually, his, my grandpa's really into genealogy and they traced them all the way. He's from Washington state and they traced them back to the Oregon trail. So they were like pilgrims. Wow. Okay. Way back in the day, not, not involved in the whole slavery thing. So that's great. (laughs) But, uh, yeah, but he, they did their genealogy and it's like British, German, French, you know, like every, every Western European country, like pretty white. (laughs) And then my mom's a hundred percent Greek right off the boat, but it all kind of, it's the same thing as, you know, you can't choose your sexuality. Yeah. You can't choose your bone structure. You can't choose your skin color. And it's kind of crazy that we have to have all these separate revolutions. Like, I'm so glad they're happening. Mm. Don't get me wrong. But to get to this point, you know, there was the whole Stonewall and all of that, right? And it's like, okay, so then some people now are starting to acknowledge that you can't choose your sexuality. Why can you still not understand that you can't choose your skin color? Yeah. Like, yeah. at this point, I feel like if you're racist, you're making a decision like you can't play it on ignorance anymore Mm. you know like maybe your great 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 grandparents could because you know I feel like a lot of people have these grandparents who are like they don't know better they were raised that way and it's like okay but at some point it's your responsibility to teach yourself yeah which I guess is Um, what being woke is about right so the whole concept is recognize mm -hmm. something whether you had the privileges we both feel like we did to be given that information from birth or to recognize it right now. Like it is still our responsibility to react and respond yeah, in exactly. an empathetic, caring so, human way. <laughs> just the same way that, you know, in my kind of self-love journey, right? Mm. I can't tell you how many times in my life I've heard negative things about my weight. You know what I mean? Mm. But it's my job to kind of unlearn those stereotypes. Yeah, I love that. And choose to accept myself, you know? I don't have to be like, oh, well, I'm not a size zero, so I'm ugly, so I'm bad, so I'm... You know what I mean? And it's like at some point, you can't blame what other people have said for your own views. Mm. You have to kind of take responsibility, even about yourself, yeah. That's such a strong message. And it's hard. And like, I'm the first to admit, it's a lot easier said than done to unpack all of those things. Mm. And it could be about yourself or about others. If you have implicit bias about race, about size, about gender, about, I mean, the fact that, I mean, we can't even get into the fact that women make 88 cents to the dollar. Yeah. That's a whole other <laughs> conversation about sexuality, about the dynamics between parents and children about whatever like okay just because your grandpa hit your mom does it make it okay for your dad to hit you you know what I mean there's so many ways you could Mm. take and I think a lot of it is you get to an age where you have to kind of see what matters to you where your values are and think critically about things and question everything and I think that's one of the best skills I got from going to college even though I'm not using my degree (laughs) I learned to question everything and to think really like analytically and why, 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 Mm. you know? And so many people are just stuck in like, oh, that's just how it is. And so to see this whole kind of revolution happening 
before our eyes. It's like it, it's a really amazing thing to be a part of, even though it's stressful and exhausting. And I mean, I feel that way. I can't even imagine. I mean, I can't fathom what my black friends are going through. And the best thing we can do right now is just be like, we're here for you. The labor is not all on your back. Don't feel responsible for carrying the weight of a movie. You yeah. Know? Yeah. I, I um, actually just screen grabbed earlier what you had written a while back. And I wanted to read that um, from your post a few, I don't know how recent this was, but just saying, I will never understand what it's like to be black, but I will always stand with my brothers and sisters and stand against racism and injustice. I will not be silent. I acknowledge my privilege as a white woman, both in the, in my industry and in the world. And I want to be the best ally that I can be. Um, I love that. Thank you. That's beautiful. But um, yeah, I feel like uh, there's been so much we've touched on there and I've actually just been jotting a few notes because I'm like, I love what you say that, but you actually almost brought me to tears when you were saying the thing to, to know to say is what are your struggles and how can I help you with them? Whether that is big issues or whether it's the girl you're working with on set, you know, I, I just think that is, the message of active allyship and I and I would love this um this podcast to you know really it was obviously you know so much discussion you can wrestle back and forth around things but really like the simplified version is that acknowledge you know listen learn acknowledge and and then and offer that and I think you say that so beautifully you know um what are your struggles and how can I help with them thank you and help I think you with that's- them it's asking. Do yeah, you know, asking. I love you that. You can't expect, I think it's an unfair expectation to expect people to automatically feel comfortable being like, this is happening to me. Yeah. And yeah. you also can't expect yourself to always be 100% aware of everything going on when you're not even present, you know? Mm-hmm. So I think that the best thing you can do is be a compassionate human being and that's regardless of if it comes to race issues uh size size diversity sexuality whatever it may be is just saying you know are you okay how are you doing yeah is anything going on can I help you is there anything I can do like how are you really yeah and you know just being a good empathetic person and making sure people know that you're there and making people feel comfortable coming to you and leaning on you for that support. Yeah. I love that. Um, can we talk about your background? Oh yeah. We got <laughs> Oh <laughs> my, no, no, please don't apologize. I'm like the worst podcast host. I'm like always going off on 28 tangents, and, but I love that. And I think it's actually one of the strengths and, um, of, of having a free form conversation. And I think you take it places that, you know, you can't script. And I, and I love that. That's kind of one of the super important things to me, but I mean, you resonate with that. I, I think we connected, you always look back on things. You think, how did we come together? Like it's kismet, right? I knew that I really wanted to work with you when we first connected and, um, and I love that I was weirdly already in LA and you were coming and it was so exciting. And then we finally yeah. got a shoot together. And what I was really struck with when we met is how smart and switched on and, and um, just really socially aware you were 
when we, you know, just when you're in makeup and that whole conversation we were having then. And I think that was, um, yeah, very impactful in terms of. Uh, yeah, we got deep fast. <laughs> yeah, I love that. You know, and I think that I do too. Important. That tends to happen a lot for mm. me, and I, I really like that. And you know, I think a lot of it. You and I have very similar personalities, so it worked great. But a lot of it is about you know being able to read the room. Yeah, and some people are not that open, and you can't force them to be. But it's such a a more impactful experience creating with somebody when you make that connection that's deeper than the shoot yeah you know absolutely so much better when that happens it was a really amazing day yeah I think it's um I think you know modeling from my perspective as a photographer it's it's a very vulnerable job you know you're putting yourself out there and um and I and I think that for me my my role of being um a good connector and being a good listener and being in my own way, empathetic is a really um, necessary skill to have because I need the people that I'm going to work with to open up and feel safe in an you know environment that can often feel really unsafe. You know, like it can be a vulnerable mm-hmm. space. Interestingly, we were at your house. So. Yeah, we were literally <laughs> like that adds part- you know you know an extra element. But I think it is interesting that you haven't been modeling for for that long, and I would love to hear about one how you moved into modeling but two how you made that decision to do that like what was the u-turn for you and do you think you'll still use that degree like obviously you can because being a smart businesswoman as a model and as an entrepreneur any of the things that you can um, segue into in in the future you know those are skills that you will always use in journalism you obviously express yourself very well and you communicate well and that can only benefit you but please I would love to hear um yeah your take on all of that stuff yeah I mean honestly I do feel like I use my degree even though it's very untraditional Mm. uh in an untraditional way I should say because what a lot of what college does is it teaches you how to listen (laughs) how to advocate for yourself how to bust your ass you know a lot of a lot of transferable kind of life skills are learned those overnights in the library even if you don't use the finite or whatever you know and I did have to take accounting classes and stuff since I did business stuff so that has helped a lot (laughs) (laughs) but um when you're a model in a lot of ways even though you have agency you're kind of your own business like because we're independent contractors for tax purposes so it's very entrepreneurial even though I have amazing agents and an amazing support system. I'm really lucky in that way. It is still much more entrepreneurial than like, you know, going in at an associate level at a desk job. Yeah. Where it's, okay, you are following this one person every day. You know, like you're much more kind of out there. So I do feel like I still use it. Um, I first got scouted in college when I was visiting San Francisco. Mm -hmm. And at the time... I was still in college and I was just like, what? Like, I'd never thought of myself as a model. I'm like, not like, you know, you think of models as six feet tall and zero size zeros, you know? And I'm not short, but I'm not six feet tall. (laughs) Like I'm not the kind of height that everyone's like, Oh, you should be a model. You're so tall. I'm tall enough, (laughs) but, but, uh, I'm five, eight. And, 
I don't know. I just was like, I'm in college. Like, what? And then I just kind of, like, fell to the back of my mind, you know? And a few years later, some other people started reaching out, and I ended up doing a shoot with a local photographer just for fun. Because I was, she was like, oh, if I can use your pictures, like, I'll give them to you for free, you know? So, like, might as well. And she had a decent following, and then those started getting attention and it all just kind of snowballed very naturally Mm. I'm really lucky I know a lot of girls that you know applied to or submitted whatever you want to call it to like a hundred agencies and before they heard back from anything three years later and it kind of did start very organically yeah it's nice that with the first original touch point of a a scout you know connecting with you that that obviously at least planted a seed and then yeah, and at the time I didn't take it too seriously. Now I'm kind of kicking myself about that. <laughs> I could have been in here three years earlier. But uh, yeah, and then it just kind of snowballed. So I signed in Chicago, started working out of there a little bit, kind of got my feet wet because I didn't want to sign in, even though the scout I first met was from LA. But I, you know, I didn't have the money or the kind of like security I felt like I needed to like, I didn't even know if I liked modeling. Or if I was good at it, you know? Mm. So I signed in Chicago first because that was driving distance from home. I just kind of got my feet wet, did some test shoots, got some clients, and then was like, oh, I'm actually, like, kind of good at this. And I really like it. And a lot of, like, clients and photographers started telling me, like, dude, you can do this. Like, you have a great look. You are, like, the right proportions or blah, blah, whatever. You should do it. And then that kind of turned into signing in L.A. and moving to L.A. and all of that. So I already knew I loved it when I yeah make that plunge. So it was a little less scary because I knew I was coming to do something. I genuinely, I, I love being on set, but I also feel like what I do is important mm. and it's really rewarding. And I think that matters a lot, too. Like, it's, it's so fun, but it's not only fun. Yeah. And do you want to talk about, like, um that importance like where what do you see that role is so I mean I do think having a job that's fun and that you love is important but I do love that it's like what I like about modeling isn't just that it's fun I guess is what I I could have phrased that better it's that I also feel like it's important because it's like I get Instagram messages from 16 year olds Mm -hmm. you know who are like you make me feel so much better about being curvy and stuff like that. And that kind of representation, I think, is really important. And I think it's something that it's kind of like, uh, it's hard. It's hard. To I, I, I think that representation is everything, you know, like, I feel it's it is. so it empowering for people to see, or, you know, to see, to see all different faces, to see everyone, but also to see body diversity in sizing like I was talking with Zoe Elise you know that you could be too small to be you know she can be so tiny that she's too small to be a model or you could be too you know might have considered yourself too big to be a model that the more we can open our um, expectations like or whatever it might be of what that role is um, yeah you know whether it's models with skin um you know, uh, pigmentation. Sorry, say that again. Vitiligo. Yeah, exactly. You know, and I think I also, I mean, I'm so full of admiration for that because it's a really big and obvious um, difference. But I just think that 
I know um, for so many people, if you can see more people that maybe you feel reflect you and you can see out there and being amazing in the world, uh, you know, can only shine light and positive energy for people. Yeah, and I think it's also important to embrace whatever shape you have. I think that there's kind of this, so there's this big body positivity movement going on that's amazing, right? But uh, almost to the point where it's like, you know, you see all these Instagram influencers and stuff trying to like accentuate and show off like, see, look how many roles I have. Mm. Like this, but now not like this, like Instagram's a lie, things like that, right? Yeah. Which there's nothing wrong with, but like, it's also okay to like, like your shape and just own it. And so, like, one thing that I is, like, kind of, like, a trigger, I don't know what you'd call it for me, is I hate when people call me confident. It feels backhanded. Mm. You're so brave. Yeah. And, and I, I'm so glad you brought that up because I have, I recall reading you saying something um, in one of your posts about that. And I think it's, again, it's a thing of checking, like, in a way, it falls into the same conversation of allyship, like, um, where it can go either way like I can feel like I'm going to say the wrong thing or I can just understand that I might say the wrong thing but I want to learn not to say the wrong you know what I mean like I because everyone's experience is different and um I think it's so fascinating for you to say that because I've obviously even in this conversation said stuff about body confidence um but and and I think for one, body confidence is an issue regardless of size. <laughs> um, sure. But I think that I can completely understand when you say that that it can be perceived as a backhand compliment. Um, you know, in the way that some of the black models have said they got the compliment, "Oh, you're pretty for a, a black girl," or you know, um, yeah, I think that's you know, it's great. I'm and I love in a way it's. An exa- a great example of advocating for what you need and being able to express that, which is certainly for a lot of people easier said than done. Um, but for everyone that can do that and say, just, you know, make a note of not all of these things are nice and don't yeah, always well, feel nice. You know what I mean? Like even if people are well-meaning, if the intent is good, but you can still do damage. Yeah, exactly. And I think just it's the way you say things and it's like exactly okay would you if before you say something to a black model think to yourself would I say that same quote-unquote compliment to a white model Mm. before you say something to a curve model Mm. think would I say that to a straight size model yeah would I say that to a man would I say that to a woman you know yeah I think it can go exactly like and Mm. it's like I am I I am very lucky that I'm very hourglassy I'm proportioned Uh, or proportionate I don't I guess would be the word and I feel like you know there's almost this kind of movement that's like you know embrace your gut embrace your whatever which is amazing but you should also be able to embrace if you have shapes that are seen as more traditionally attractive Mm. like I shouldn't feel like I should have to take Instagrams that like force roles that don't exist yeah (laughs) You know what I mean? Oh, it's a crazy to world. Fit, yeah, like to fit into this space of body positivity mm. just because like why can't I just be bigger but still have a 34 inch waist and why can't that be okay? 
Yeah. It's not like I got this waste by waste training or surgery or anything unhealthy, which is like, I mean, I wouldn't want to promote anything that was unsafe, but this is just the way I look. Yeah. And I don't think that I should not accentuate features that I like about myself with a belt or whatever. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I think a lot of it is just be, and if you do have a bigger gut and you're more of an apple shape or whatever, that's awesome too. Own it. Yeah. You know? But you shouldn't have to, you should be able to be whoever you are. If you're naturally thin, you should be able to love yourself like that too. And I think that to me, just like being an ally for Black Lives Matter, you don't need to be big to be an ally to a curve model. Yeah. You know, like you just need to not be an asshole. Yeah. <laughs> like to be, you know, to be sensitive, to be aware, to be like to be body positive doesn't mean just to be positive about your shape. It includes treating yourself well, but it also means, okay, I'm an hourglass. That doesn't mean that I value somebody any less if they're not, you know, it shouldn't define your worth. Yeah. I love that. I mean, I think it's so interesting. I mean, modeling itself is an interesting world because, um, your body and your face are representing you, um, which is... You get used to it. It's weird. Yeah. You know? <laughs> Never be in front of the camera or whatever. And it's like I used to hate having my picture taken because I was really self-conscious about my weight and about the... Nah, 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 you know what I mean? And then it's like I look... And it's like last week I was modeling this bodysuit, you know, like one that like snaps in the crotch kind of thing. And it's literally like a thong bodysuit, and I'm wearing a thong bodysuit and heels, and I'm like crawling on the floor and like kicking a leg up, and like just whatever. And I was loving every second of it. Like if you would have told me five years ago, when I was like trying to get people to stand in front of me for pictures, because I was like, no, I'm fat, whatever, and I literally weigh like within like ten pounds of that. It's not like I'm dramatic, like I'm not dramatically smaller or anything, you know. Mm. Like, it's not a dramatically different body than it was when I was insecure. It's not like, oh, and now I'm not insecure because I lost 100 pounds or something, you know? But it's not about the weight is the interesting thing, right? Because actually it's a weird combination of self-acceptance but also about seeing things that make you feel like, oh, that's okay. Like if you're only seeing, like I wouldn't fall into the category of curved size woman, Um, but I'm not skinny by any means. And so I think it's, but I still find when I see different shapes, oh, actually it doesn't, it's not, I'm not so bad then if I get out of the shower and I, you know, have lumps and bumps in different places, you know, Um, I don't, I do think that there is a lot of value to, um, to understanding that it's the personal work that we have to do, you know, and I think that you saying that there is no weight difference there yeah, for well, you is very... so important because what do you think made that shift? And is it that you saw yourself in a different light when you did start modeling? I think is an interesting thing because for my clients, so obviously I do like model tests and I, and I shoot my mm-hmm. fashion editorial and beauty stuff, but I also run a portrait studio and, and I actually, a, a lot of that work is about, um, uh, helping people feel good about themselves and and wanting women to like get in touch with themselves and to like 
just reconnect, you know, with, with who they are and, and see themselves for the beautiful person that they are, that maybe they have had kids or for whatever reason haven't been in contact with. And, and Mm. it's my kind of feeling that so often photography and good photography uh, can actually be a really interesting form of therapy. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Because in your mind you think, Oh, I'm this, I'm that I'm ugly. I'm whatever. And I'm saying these words and they're clearly from experience or, you know, I feel fat in this, but then you can see photographs and go, Oh, actually I look quite nice <laughs> you know well, and think- so much of it is in our head and we're scared to be photographed but actually the process and the result of being photographed can often be the thing that can inspire us to feel more confident and feel oh yeah different about ourselves yeah I think a lot of modeling though I agree like I've done shoots like that that are about like body love and really like about you and like being in tune with yourself when you're modeling, it's more about accomplishing what the client wants, mm. you know? And I think a lot of it just has to do with, I mean, I've gone from age 20 to age 25 in the last five years. And a lot of that is just kind of coming into your own and being so much more in touch with your body. I feel like being in touch with your sexuality actually has a lot to do mm. with how you move as a model like when you really like know your body and you know your curves and you're comfortable being like sexual like especially if you're shooting lingerie or something you know yeah it would be very hard to move around to do that at 16 feel comfortable yeah I see these girls do it so young Mm. and it's like I can't imagine the person I was that long ago doing what I am now and I, lingerie is like my favorite thing to shoot. Oh, I too. love that. Really? But I am, yeah, I'm shooting lingerie tomorrow. <laughs> but, uh, but I'm so much more comfortable in my sexuality and my mm. body. I'm more in tune with my body. I know my body, you know? And that, that's such an important um, differentiation favorite. to make. I love that you're saying that point you're making there is so important. That, yeah, it isn't because when you talk about, your sexuality and the impact, that is an internal process. It's not an externalized process. So that's actually in contrast really to what I was describing, which is more of an external understanding of what you look like actually you're out in the world and, and how you can mm-hmm. be photographed and, you know, all of those things. But, but I love that you're bringing it back to that internalized thing because, um, and that is when I was saying the work before, I wasn't really hitting the mark on on what that work is and so much of it is about just connecting with yourself and that can be just in understanding and developing but it's very internal process that you can't rush in a way yeah exactly and it's mind and body Mm. it's having different mental intellectual and physical experiences that get gets you to that point of comfort and you know it's like you're crawling around, you're jumping and walking and running and doing whatever in this long bodysuit in front of a 30 person crew. <laughs> and you're loving every second of it. I love it's it. Like, it's like awesome to like, it's like you, I wish I could tell like my 16 year old self mm. that now, you know? What, what would you tell her? <laughs> what would you describe it as she needed to understand? I don't know. Just like, I wish I could like give her like a, a snippet of how it plays out mm. you know it's like 
this body that like, you know, I've always had a hard time with how wide my hips are. I have really big hips. And I've always, like I said, I'm very shapely, like I'm very hourglassy, but finding pants and everything growing up in the 2000s, especially, you know, like the trends were all like low rise, everything, tiny, the, you know what I mean? Like trends that are just not like now, like high waisted jeans are in and things that look good on people shaped like me. Yeah. <laughs> but back then they weren't. It's like clothing shopping used to be like the most painful, horrible thing in the world and uh just to like show myself a snippet of like you literally work in fashion and you feel good and confident and you look good like not it's not just like and it's okay to feel like you look good yeah and that's a great message as well because I think something is often given to us through childhood that's like don't be vain or um yeah to own it's it's about ownership hey like own that beauty own that um self-expression own that wisdom that you have um gathered through your life experience exactly like I put on this outfit on set the other day and I mean it just fit like a glove no tailoring or anything and I was like I look good as hell (laughs) and be able to like say that and feel that like it's okay to acknowledge when you objectively feel like you look good like you shouldn't have to couple it with some caption about like it was really hard for me to post this if it wasn't you can post something just because you feel like you look good that's okay too Mm. yeah and I think as a photographer and again going back to like my client work working with people who aren't models and I know from my own experience that sometimes you're just in this rut you're busy whatever and you can just have a negative uh, self-reflection on yourself because you are comparing yourself to people who are getting hair and makeup done, who are mm-hmm. being photographed in great light. They're not just looking at themselves in the bathroom mirror, <laughs> um, wearing something beautiful and then being retouched, you know, and that process is a process. Like they are all steps in most images that we see in um Sure. the media and so I think it's a really interesting thing to say you know to for people to have that experience you know as they would if they were a model on set um etc including the the retouching if people want that because it does help you realize that oh I could be that person there's no reason there's nothing there's no real barrier there other than my the opportunity hasn't been there or the experience hasn't been there or you know, maybe I wouldn't choose to do to step out into the limelight, but actually that people do present really well. Uh, you know, it would be hard to take somebody and get them great hair and makeup and beautiful lighting and beautiful clothes and then retouch them and for them still to look terrible, you know. Yeah. Um, that all of those things are a, a beautiful step, you know, towards great images and yeah, I think that's what I love to to give everybody, you know, like that opportunity to have all of those elements um, in a photo shoot. But, yeah, it's interesting when you, you know, are outside of that and for people that haven't had that experience um, or just haven't had it recently, you know, like I'm still yeah. in the whole um, we're not in lockdown here but we're still 
living the post-lockdown life kind of thing. And so my hair looks shit because I haven't been to the hairdresser literally since last year. <laughs> um, and, you know, so my self-esteem isn't necessarily what it might be if I was actually getting a pedicure and doing the things that you would do if you were going to get camera ready. So I, in just saying this, realised and have been thinking that I need to, like, do some self-portraiture work or whatever just to get myself back in the game of like feeling oh okay about myself um which is also confronting and also enticing right yeah <laughs> you know I think there's nothing it, it's just like everything else and I do think that there's there's power in sharing unretouched photos for sure but I think that just like everything else that there's a spectrum and it doesn't have to be all or none. Mm. It doesn't have to be like we're completely making people's bodies and faces unrecognizable or we're not even editing out the bruise on their leg. Absolutely. And I think that's where for my line, like when I generally do a retouch and it is different if you're <clears throat> working with a client, obviously. Um, but it's those things that aren't defining features, you know. If you have raised skin across, you know, like a, a rashy bit or something, and it's like, well, that doesn't define, it's not an element, you know, it's a transitional element um, as opposed to a birthmark or something or a scar. Exactly. Yeah. Like, nobody edits out the mole on my cheek, mm. you know, and like that would be different. It's like that feels like it's such a part of my face. But if I'm like laying in a weird way that's creating a weird bump, that is distracting from the image just because the way your body is being moved, you know? Yeah. Take it out. Who cares if it's distracting from, you know what I mean? Like, but don't make me 10 sizes smaller. Yeah. I think that there's, there's a healthy level of usage. Yeah. No, I love that. But I also love that you are willing to share images. Uh, the one that I'm thinking in mind is your butt. Hmm. It's recently. Let me have a look on your Instagram. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's a good touch. That even has bruises. I mean, that was just a totally raw image. But it's a really, I love it. It's such a cool image. Thank you. Very yeah, cool. I mean, I think that, and that, that is what I would call being transparent. Yeah. Showing the behind the scenes. Mm. And I think that's what social media, the beauty of it, right? That you have that opportunity. And I think that's why I want to sort of take things a bit, a step further with this podcast and it's like yes you have all these beautiful images but one there's a process behind them and two there's also very interesting people behind them that you know uh, we want to know more about and I, I love when the subjects that I'm talking to also have that within their social media where they want they are going to be open to showing all sides of themselves and you know that's a hard thing to do I'm not particularly good at being vulnerable in that way um, so I certainly admire people, other people's vulnerability because I know it's something that I need to work on myself, interestingly. <laughs> um, thank you so much. I've, I've taken way more time, way more of your time than I was hoping, <laughs> intending to, but I, I love, you know, talking to you about all of this stuff and, um, I just Me think too. you're a beautiful ally a beautiful example of an ally, but also just a beautiful young lady who has, um, you know, a really empowering, like positive energy. And I think that we just need to 
in the way that we need to um, amplify black voices right now. We also need to amplify intelligent young women who are, you know, I, one thing I, we haven't touched on, but I love about you is that you're ambitious and you're not quiet about that. Um, I think that that's a really, again, a really empowering message um, because I do think that there's an element and I feel like it's something that did affect me to uh, an element of feeling like you can't actually outwardly say that you're ambitious. And I don't even like at my age that I am now, I'm, if I have a regret looking back to when I was younger, it, it is probably that I didn't speak up for myself in terms of um, just that, you know, like wanting to do more biggest projects, you know, like I think being overtly ambitious, if you are, because not everyone is obviously, mm-hmm. you know, and being able to talk about that openly is really great <laughs> because I think it holds people back a lot and particularly women, I guess I'm talking about. Um, men seem to not have so much of an issue with that. And um... No, I agree. And I think it's still something I'm working on, especially in my personal life. Mm. I about it with my career, but in my personal life, it's like I let people treat me in ways that I am not okay with for way too long. And in the last year, I've really been working on kind of like cutting out people who are toxic and drawing boundaries, you know? But yeah, I'm so glad we got to make this happen. Thank you, beautiful. I appreciate <laughs> your time. And um, I know that it's a, it's a wacky, it's, I mean, it's certainly a wacky year, let alone wacky time right now. Oh, but I think, you know, going back to the Black Lives Matter stuff, I was reading something this morning and it was just saying that it was almost like the pandemic gave space to open up all of these conversations because there was pause, you know, and I, and I do notice that with um, some, That's true. yeah, some people that, you know, like even just the protesting and the ability to continue with protesting and stuff like that, that, that space was never there before. So obviously there's, you know, there's not a lot of positive to be found in the whole pandemic, but, but you can also find silver linings, you know, I guess in the opportunities that, absolute chaos brings you know and that is through history when there has been absolute chaos you you can find joy and amazing you know opportunity through struggle and and through sort of hardship and a change and a shift in dynamic and I think that's kind of the crazy of 2020 right at the beginning everyone's like I want to get off this ship you know and right now it's like oh actually I want to live this through because this is wild and it's really big it's so important Mm. it's hard but it's necessary when do you get the whole world stopping and reassessing literally everything like social reform and you know the whole living wage um there's so many opportunities that maybe you know politically things can shift and so who knows what it will be like when I next get to America and and see you (laughs) and when that will be but I feel like I feel, I think, optimistic, even though I feel like we're still in great peril and a pretty bad situation right now. But, you know, I feel like there's there's lots of good, hopefully, that's going to come out of this time. Yeah, I agree. I mean, there's definitely a, a rainbow coming. For... Mm, a rainbow is a great way to describe it because you need that. You need the sunshine, but you need that. You need that rain and you need that darkness to to highlight it. And the most beautiful rainbows are the ones that sit across the gray clouds, right? 
please visit www.ambermelody.com forward slash I am to see the portraits from today's show. I am is hosted and produced by me, Amber Melody, and you can talk directly to me on Instagram at Amber Melody. That is A-M-B-E-R-M-E-L-O-D-Y. Thank you for listening. Please rate, review, and subscribe to I Am The Podcast if you enjoyed today's show. See you next week.